We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Seahawks Man to Man podcast, powered by The Athletic. Shout out to the company. My name is Michael Sean Dugar. I'm here with my co-host, Christopher Kidd. Make sure you follow us both up on the tweet machine. You guys can follow me at Mike Dugar. It's M-I-K-E-D-U-G-A-R. Look for the blue check. It's still there until Elon Musk uh, takes it away. It's an audio-only version of the Seahawks Man to Man podcast. Uh, sorry, guys. You have technical difficulties. That's what happens when you're 5,000 uh, miles away from who you are trying to record with. Uh, it's not issues on my part or Chris's part necessarily to have issues. Uh, speaking of that, Chris, talk to him. What is good, everybody? It's your boy, Christopher Kidd. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at CKIDD206. And that is CKID206. Gosh, this feels weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Back to the back to the, the, the audio only. We're sorry, guys. It's just, uh, that's what happens, like I said, when you're 5,000 miles away from who you're trying to uh, uh, record with me. We will recap a, uh, a disappointing uh, Seahawks loss out here in Munich. Uh, audio only, still Spotify, Apple, you know, The Athletic, all the spots you get. You get your, uh, your Seahawks fans, man. Audio. Uh, Seahawks lose 21 to 16. Their four game win streak is snapped uh, by, by Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers out here in uh, Allianz Arena uh, in, in Germany and Munich. Uh, great vibe, you know, uh, overall. But yes, Seahawks kind of got. Kind of got beat up on the ground. Uh, they uh, they couldn't get off the field on third down. Couldn't stay on the field on third down. You know, Gino had the bad turnover. Uh, you know, couldn't run the ball. There was a bunch bunch of stuff. Just didn't didn't go well. Uh, a few things few things did. Uh, but you know, as a big picture thing, Chris, real quick. You know, I want to see what you think. I uh, I don't. I didn't get a sense from these guys after in the locker room that they were like. It wasn't panic, not even like frustration. Those are things that, not maybe not panic, but it was like serious concerns coming out of Detroit, at least on defense. And then, um, you know, serious concerns coming out of Saints game, uh, where this just seemed like disappointment. You know, you fly far as hell and, you know, you're, you're upset that you got to fly back on a loss. It was like disappointment more than it was panic. I don't, it, and that's kind of where I am big picture wise. You know, where, where are you? Uh, I would say I am not 
worried about this team. I'll put it in perspective with the game. If the defense gets a stop, I am very confident that Geno leads them to score a touchdown. You know what that says? That says that's an offense that is had a slow start, obviously, in the game that anybody watched on Sunday. They had a slow start, but in the second half, they marched down the field. Unfortunately, he him and Geno, DK and DK, Geno and DK cannot connect on that tough pass, one-handed attempt. Would have, would have been a touchdown if he catches it. They had to settle for three. But that right there, they just passed the ball. And they marched right down the field, and they got a field goal. That told me one thing. Okay, this team responded. Can the defense? And unfortunately, when you look at that last drive, the defense could not get off the field. So in layman's terms, no, I'm not worried. I was confident that if the Seahawks defense gets a stop, Geno's going to go down there and score a touchdown. He didn't really, he didn't, it didn't appear to me that Geno had a really bad game. I know a lot of people thought that he didn't play great. Okay, cool. He didn't play great, but I thought he played okay. He played a decent game and he was the reason why they even got back into it. He led some convincing touchdown drives, which shows Geno can still get it done, but he also needed help on the defensive side of things. And unfortunately, they couldn't stop them. The Bucs went 10 of 15 on third down. That can't happen. <laughs> and I know Tom Brady is old as hell, but he he pretty much did what he needed to do. They were able to run the ball effectively, and that opened up play-action pass. And you saw a couple of times a play-action pass, Mike Evans deep for 17 yards, or Chris Godwin deep for a first down. They had explosives off those play-actions, but that's because they were able to run the football. The Buccaneers punched the Seahawks in the mouth. They didn't expect it. Quandra in the postgame was saying, we didn't expect them to run as much as they did. They thought they were going to come out pass heavy, and they did the exact opposite. But your main question was, am I concerned about this team? Or am, is, it, is it time to panic any of that? No, because I think they just had a rough game, which it's, that's going to happen. But now it's about how they respond. They looked pretty good. They only gave up 21 points, Mike. It's not as if they got destroyed 38-16. to 16. They were within the possibility to win this game. They just didn't. And now it's about how they respond, how they go on third down next week. Are they gonna, or excuse me, on the bye week? But when they play again, and they play against the Niners, how do they respond with that? Are they going to be more? The efficient? Raiders. Oh, the Raiders. Oh, well, God, that team is awful. So you would expect them against the Raiders to just to every, all the mistakes that they made Sunday against the Buccaneers to improve on those and then be better. That's what you want to look for in their next match. This game is over. They didn't play great, but I also am not going to hit the panic button. Yeah, maybe I shouldn't use the word panic, uh, but there were definitely um, it because they they've built up some like good uh, I don't know they built up like credibility a little bit that they can they can afford an off day uh, because they had been so solid in a lot of areas on both sides of the ball, even special teams. Special teams was like fine today, nothing like catastrophic. Uh, big big kick by uh, Jason Myers. I will say this: there's a few things today that were alarming. And not like I think they're going to continue, but I do think they could either have the potential to or if or and if they do, this team could be cooked. Uh, and and I don't use the word cooked lightly. Uh, I use it in a negative connotation. I guess it's it's, it's been positive uh, in the past. I think so. The one one thing. Right. I would like if you're going to be a, like a contender, which is the word I've been using to describe them in the past few weeks, and justifiably so, I, I would say. Um, 
you have to be able to, I think, take away what the other team is good at. And they have done that. They had done that in the past. You know, they they were able to kind of neutralize D-Hop after a coverage bust. and They were able to uh, take away some of the throws that Herbert liked, you know, and just basically take a, um, and then take Saquon Barkley out of the game in week eight. Like, these are good things. And we've talked about that before. Um, and on Sunday, they did not do that against a team that was probably going to win a division and the Bucks and, like, going to be a playoff team. Like, I want you to consistently be able to do that. And one of the, the things I'm referring to is getting to Tom Brady. Tom Brady came into this game as one of the least sacked quarterbacks um, in the league. He had the second lowest sack rate. Uh, I think Justin Herbert uh, is first. Um, so, like, those two guys don't get sacked. They get the ball out of their hands. They can move in the pocket, blah, blah, blah. For Tom, it's mostly getting the ball out quick. And I didn't think that they would come in here and sack Tom like five times, right? Like I, I knew that was unrealistic. However, they had zero quarterback hits today. They had zero sacks today. Uh, they only had they had six quarterback pressures, according to True Media, uh, on thirty dropbacks. That's a pressure rate of about twenty percent. Uh, for perspective, uh, I think Geno was at like thirty percent or something like that. Getting get pressured, uh, thirty-two and a half. So. Like, it was not a good day rushing. It's not that it wasn't a good day rushing Tom Brady. It was an awful day. And having an awful day, uh, I think, is bad. That's just a straight up getting getting your butt whooped. And you just want to limit the amount of time to get your butt whooped. It will happen, particularly against someone as good as Tom Brady is. Uh, but I thought that was, that was, that was, a, uh, that's not one of like alarming things, but that's something I was particularly uh, watching for. Thought they would have a game plan for, they would be able to execute for. Like, because they also didn't even have any batted passes at the line, mm. you know, either. So, so they not only did they not get to him like physically, they didn't even get to the passes. You know, I just thought that whole the whole get to Tom Brady or you know disrupt win the line of scrimmage on defense in that regard, they just did not. And that was that was disappointing, um, you know, because that they could have done better, and it was just about as bad as it it, it could be. Thirty dropbacks isn't a ton, but when you don't even hit the guy, I mean, come on. That 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 that's pretty rough. They've got some good, they got good linemen, you know, with the uh, on the Bucks, obviously. But that was that was something I was like, damn man, nothing. It's one thing if the other team just executes a little bit of what it's usually good at to not get to them at all. I thought was uh, was pretty troubling. It didn't look like it was like scheme stuff. It really looked like they just got the ball like they normally do. Brady threw it through windows that made sense, and he uh, and the pass rush just didn't win. Didn't win their opportunity. And the coverage wasn't there on the back end either uh, when it needed to be on some of those longer developing things. Um, you know, a lot of busts uh, today. Just, just that that part was was alarming. I think the other thing is they allowed an opponent to just neutralize what they do well. <laughs> you know, on the flip side of that, which was uh, get uh, run the ball. You know, Ken Walker had ten attempts for seventeen yards. And now I knew. That and we talked about this in the previous podcast with with, with, with the homie Greg Almond, and then you know even before Greg hopped on the one that dropped before I flew out to Munich, and I was like, you know, I'm a little worried about the run numbers cooling down. And I did a prediction piece in the Athletic too, where I was like, the numbers. I said definitively, the numbers are going to cool down, um, and I was very confident in that. And because I knew they were playing better run defenses, you know, they were just killing people with like a hundred something yards, a hundred something rushing yards a game or something. I was like, that's that's not going to sustain because you don't get to play the Giants every week. You don't get to play the Chargers every week. You don't get to play the Falcons every week. You know, that's going to impact the numbers and the efficiency. However, I did not think it would be to this extreme. That is alarming. 
it's not just that like Saquon had what twenty carries for about fifty three yards. Yep. Yeah, that's not good. However, like ten for seventeen is atrocious. You know, like that's that's pretty bad. You know, I think Geno scrambled like four times or something like that for like twenty two yards, something like that. That you don't want to see Geno as your leading rusher. You know, in in that way. So I, I was. I, I was pretty alarmed by that, and it didn't look like, again, just a first watch, um, no film. I'm having a hard time getting the film access I usually get because I'm, you know, uh, on different internet, different country. But just watching it live, it didn't look like a, a scheme issue. Uh, it didn't. It just looked like one team had Vita Vea and uh, Devin White, and the other team did not. And you just don't want to see that. Obviously, those are great players. Those are two uh, Pro Bowl players. Uh, Vita might be an all-pro player. Him and Quentin Williams are probably the best defensive tackles in the league this year. Uh, Quentin Williams and the Jets. Like, and those are two, like, legit nose tackles. Two ain't no Aaron Donald, three techniques. Stuff. This is, like, zero nose. I'm coming at you, you know. Um, not to say Aaron Donald isn't good, but you get my point. So I thought that was alarming um, just because of how far it, to the extreme it went. I don't expect Ken to run for 100 yards every game. But I don't expect him to just be entirely neutralized from the game plan running the ball. That is that's you can't have anybody do that. I really don't care what type of day at the office it is, who you're playing. You never want that, the numbers to regress that bad. I don't think that'll happen going forward uh, against the Raiders and Panthers. Um, but like, let's say this happens against like the Niners or something like that. Uh, then you're like, man, we can't run the ball on anybody good, you know? Or that if it happens against the uh, Rams. Same thing. And I say good meaning good run defense, not a good team. Uh, so in the Bucks, whether you thought they were a good team or not, they had a good run defense. Again, we talked about that with Greg. To get just, just stomped like that, I think that that was an issue. Uh, something I looked, like I was legitimately alarmed by. Not to say it will continue, but if it's something to like keep an eye on uh, as they play better run defenses going forward. Uh, uh, and, and, and Chris, one more thing. And this is, this is an issue that I am concerned about is they have prolonged stretches on offense where they just cannot buy a third down. Mm. Um, and it's, it doesn't sustain for whole games every time, but like against the giants, I think they were like three for 13, you know, in a win. Uh, they were one of nine against the Saints. You know, they were at one point, like three of eight uh, against the Cardinals before finishing that game seven to seven. Uh, they've, they've had today. They were one of nine. You know, Gino, Gino spent the whole, whole day, didn't throw for a first down on third down. Like that's, and it's, I, I bring that one up as a concern because that's another one I was watching. Like for the year, they're still pretty good. I think they're like a top 10 third down conversion rate team, even after a really terrible showing today. Um, and every third down is not the same. You got to break it up. There's the third and shorts, there's the third and mediums, there's the ones that come in two minute situations, there's the ones that come when you're trying to play for, you know, a four down situation. Uh, so they're not all the same, but just in totality, when they have these stretches where you're like under 20% or under 25% on third down on offense, and you do that multiple games, sometimes in a row or just whatever, I, I, I do get concerned uh, about that, particularly when you can't run for first down. Like they didn't, they ran for one today and got stuffed on a couple others, I believe, you know, so that, that, that legitimately, uh, that, that, that concerned me a lot. And, and, and it was something, another thing I was keeping an eye on. You know, I thought this second half stretch would be important. You know, they were going to play some teams that could do some things to neutralize some of their strengths, either on offense or defense. And 
What I didn't want to see is it go to the extreme end of the spectrum. And with the third down numbers, the rushing numbers, and with their pass rush numbers, all of that did today. You know, the pass rush thing with Brady, that could be an outlier. Um, the run numbers, that could be an outlier. Like, Ken could easily go for a buck 50 on the Raiders in two weeks, whatever. But, like, the third down, I think he's rearing his head. And uh, third down, as I try to hammer down every week, every podcast, every game, every live tweet, you know, uh, for, for each game. Third down decides games. That's situational football. The teams that can convert on third down are teams that usually win games. Chris, you want to know what the Bucks were on third down today? 10 of 15, uh, yeah. Do you have a top of your head? Yep. I do. Yep, 10 of 15. I'll put, I'll put that in even more context. They were really 10 of 13. Oh, yeah, the kneels. Two of mm-hmm. those, uh, yeah, two of those were kneel downs. One at half the end time. of the half and one yep. at the end of the game. Yeah. Yeah, so you're really looking at a team that was like 76% or something like that, so whatever that percentage is. That's their highest of the year, and that's the highest, uh, the Bucks that is, and that's the highest that the Seahawks have allowed uh, this year by my numbers. That's that's bad, you know. Like that, that again. I don't think that will continue. But look, they had so many things just go to the extreme, and you just never really want to see it get that bad. You're going to be in some slugfests like the Giants game and even the Cardinals game. That like I can I can expect some slugfests, but when you get things that go to the extreme. I don't, you know, that's where I'm like, okay, my eyebrows get raised. You know, when I when I rewatch the tape, I'm going to be curious on those three particular uh, areas. Like, why couldn't you get to Tom? Why couldn't you run the ball? Why couldn't you get off the field on third down again? You know, uh, that those are things that you don't want to see be trends. Um, when they probably, they may not be, but yeah, you don't. This got all the way bad. Chris, how the hell did Ken, Ken Walker would just he would pop a 17 yard run? Every week, it feels like today, 17 total. But even then, to me, that's like, whoa. Yeah. But even then, through all those negatives, not getting to the quarterback, not being able to run the football, not being able to stop the run, they still were in the game and had a chance. And of course, all that balled up, it played into that final drive where they couldn't get the stop that they needed in order to get Geno an opportunity to go and perhaps win this game. How lopsided would it have been to have two turnovers? The offensive line is not doing a great job running. They're not getting upfield and getting getting to the second level of the defense. You can't touch Brady. You don't hit him. You don't get a, you don't even get a QB hit on the guy. And then Gino has a chance to win you the game, and then they go out and win the game. That would be an ugly win for this team. And unfortunately, I don't even consider this an ugly loss because of how they responded in the second half. But I hear everything you're saying in that regard because that is somewhat of a concern. But I also think they didn't blitz enough. I don't even know. I, I honestly, I, I might have to go back and watch. I'm going. I mean, you probably pull up the stat on the stats probably available on how many you wanna, times you they want to see if they blitz. Yeah, I know they blitzed. I just don't think it was enough. And it didn't affect Tom Brady. They, the past nine weeks, the Seahawks have been doing. They've been allowing their four-man guys to get there. Nwosu, you name it. Shelby Harris, you name it. Jefferson. Those guys were able to get into the backfield. But today, in the first half, when they realized, oh, they're going to run the football, I think that kind of stymied them. They were wondering, oh snap, they're actually doing okay on the ground. Do we send pressure? They were caught in the wind. They didn't They didn't have a response. And in the second half, maybe they should have tried to blitz Brady, make him uncomfortable. Now, I get it. Brady, he can read a defense. He knows when guys are coming. But they didn't even get a hit on him, Mike. You have to try something. And I think that can be – that's why I don't think it's too much of a concern because I think they can go back to the film and say, oh, 
perhaps we should have blitzed Bray. We should have put pressure on him and not just allow our four guys to try and make plays when they weren't able to. We saw the entire game. They didn't get pressure on Brady. They were able to run the ball. Play you want to hear a stat on that? Go ahead, yes. I got you. I hope, I'm going to help drive home your point uh, here. This is teamwork that we're doing uh, right here. <laughs> See if we can even do it uh, over the phone. So, so, in the first and second quarter of the game, so the first half, um, according to True Media, the Seahawks, Chris, blitz Brady zero times. So Zero my, blitzes in the first half. To my naked eye, I saw that. I didn't want to go out on a limb and just throw out a number and be wrong. And, oh, Chris, they blitz four, and I thought it was zero. I, I watched the game, and I'm thinking, man, they're really not pressuring this guy. And I get it. We talked about it last week. They got some dogs on that D-line. They really do. But coming into this game, you have to realize who Tom Brady is. And if you just rush four for his whole entire career, what has he done when you rush four? He dices you up. It's very rare that you rush four and you make it tough for him. Now, albeit I don't cover the Bucks. I haven't watched every single game of the Buccaneers. I don't know how well they do against teams that do blitz. But I know for a certain, Brady gets it out in 2.2 seconds. So with that knowledge, I got to say, okay, they're getting out quick. I got to send pressure and try to be and press up and play more man, play more cover zone where we're in the flats and we're making it tough for Brady. They didn't do a good job of that, and I saw it with my own eyes. And then when you bring up the stats in the first half, they didn't blitz Brady once, and I get it. They were running the ball effectively. But at what point are you going to blitz on a play-action pass and hope that you can at least make Brady uncomfortable? They got an interception and didn't hit Brady. How has that happened? A, Cody Barton was in the right spot at the right time. He knew it was coming. He's getting familiar with the defensive scheme, and he knows where players are at. Imagine having a pass rush alongside that. We're looking at a different ball game. So I, I will give them a quote-unquote pass here because I don't think they really dove into attacking Brady, but... Go ahead and give me the second half. I'm sure they blitzed them a few a few times in the second half, correct? Yes, sir. All right, here we go. Um, here's the teamwork on that. So let <laughs> me change the filter to the All third good. and fourth quarters. Uh, they blitzed Brady on 21% of his dropbacks uh, in the second half. Still didn't affect so that's them. So that's a pretty... <laughs> yeah, it didn't, it didn't work, but that's a pretty big jump to go from zero to 21%. Exactly. Uh, you know, in the half... So the, the 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 coaches saw what you saw. They was like, hey, "Yeah, <laughs> we ain't said no pressure when we get to this guy." All right, send the dog. Um, and it just and it and it and it didn't work. Um, and and you know the thing with sometimes with blitzing is you 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 blitz in like an obvious passing situation. A lot of Absolutely. times, sometimes you can blitz, and if it's a if it's a rundown, exactly. run it. You blitz from the wrong place, and you get gassed. Which probably I'd have to go back and look, but I would imagine that happened at least one or two times. So no, you're you're on it, uh, Chris. They, the coaches have things like us sometimes, you know. Like you, you, you're on it. So, uh, if you think of anything else while we're going, let me. I would just be on my little researcher mode. I nah, you good. Pull up a stat to to, to help you out because yeah, that's that. You, they just couldn't do that, and that shows to, to further your point. They couldn't do anything. Yeah, blitz didn't work. Four man rush didn't, didn't work. work. Like yeah. nothing worked on on Brady. Couldn't even get their hands up. No batted passes at the line, which I thought there would be plenty of. With yeah. knowing that he would get it out, and it just they didn't have they didn't have an answer uh, for getting to. You have to affect the quarterback, um, and if you're not going to affect the quarterback, Chris, what do you got to do? Stop the run. Yeah, and, and that was a. I I I knew I knew the Bucks wouldn't continue to be as bad as they were <laughs> running the ball because that they just it was going to be hard for them to only because you know they were only averaging sixty yards a game yeah. per 
game. Disgusting. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's really hard to consistently do for a whole season. Like, I think the 2017 Seahawks were not even that bad. And that might just be because Russell was able to, like, boost the numbers with his legs a little bit. But that's really hard. I knew it would change eventually. However, I did not think it would change to the tune of Rashad White running for 105 uh, with three explosive runs when Chris Rashad White, I don't think, had topped 27 yards all season uh, in in a single game. So that is one of those things that just they just went to the extreme, Chris, on a few things that that'll happen. I know it's football. The other team has coaches that get paid and, and all this other stuff. Like I get all the cliches and platitudes. Like I'm, did I use platitudes correctly? Maybe I didn't. But <laughs> either way, like I get it. Now I'm gonna look up platitudes when it's your, when it's your time to talk real quick. But I, I get it. But it's still it's concerning. You don't want to see it if you want to if you want to be extended. You know what I mean? Like if it's just like for example, if the Colts had a showing like that. You're like, all right, whatever. We got a new coach. Whatever. Y'all ain't going nowhere. The Texans. Chargers, maybe even Cardinals. Nah, man. If I'm using the word contenders with y'all, and 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 we're, we're joking that the only team that could really scare these dudes is the Eagles and stuff like that after podcast, then I want to see you not re- not uh, be pushed to the extreme in the negative, you know, on and, and certain facets of the game. You know what I mean? Yeah, I hear you 100. percent And then another thing you said, the coaches on the other side get paid too. What do you think they were thinking when they came on the second half? These guys didn't blitz us once because they pull up the stats. They can look at the iPad and see what the Seahawks are trying to do. They're only sending four. We're up. I'm pretty sure. Sh- well, I'm not speaking we as I'm working with the Buccaneers, but the Buccaneers are thinking we have the lead. The Seahawks are going to be a little, not desperate, but they're going to play with some, what's the word I'm looking for? Some, uh, they want to play with some. Well, I mean, the- hold on. Hold on. I got something for you too. Okay. I'm going to let, uh, just to throw this out there, I'm going to read you a quote. I'm going to read you a quote. Hold on. Let me pull it up from my story because it speaks exactly what it's talking about. Teamwork makes the dream work again. Here we go. Uh, I'll pull it up. Uh, I'm going to read the quote. Prosperous people are different from desperate people. Desperate people, they need to get the job done. Mm. They're so hungry, they want to get the job done. Uh, We had to come out there hungry because it was 21-3, and that's hard being down that, that much versus a good team and a great quarterback. We were more desperate, and we went out there and executed and got turnovers. It just wasn't enough, and it was too late. Bingo. End quote. Yep, there it uh, is. That's from a defensive player. To your point about being desperate, you can yes. use that word because literally one of the players on the team uh, used the word desperate. I just wanted to help you out there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You're going against Brady. This isn't, you know, this is a the best quarterback of all time. Now he has the control of the game. You didn't blitz. They have that knowledge. They're going to keep guys there. They're going to have a tight end. They're going to have play action where everyone is blocking. But when I go back and watch the film this week, I'm going to be curious in that first half, how many times Nuosu was doubled? Because Nuosu today didn't even hear his name. I think he had one tackle. And that's without me checking stats, but let me pull it up and see for myself if they had him. No, 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 go ahead. I'm I'm your researcher today. Don't worry about (laughs) it. I I got your back. So have your back. Go ahead. Nuosu, the impact from him, wasn't really there. Shelby Harris, while he was active, he didn't even get to the quarterback. The big name guys that you would expect to make plays, which they have through all season, one through nine, weeks one through nine, they've been there. They weren't able to do that today. And I don't think I'll see that performance from them again, but maybe other guys that aren't the quote unquote studs or starters on this roster might have rough nights, rough, rough games. They can't happen. I got a stat for you. Go ahead. Luchana Nuosu, one tackle. Yeah, that 
That's not the Nwosu and that it was an assisted tackle. Yeah, see, that's that's not the Nwosu that we've seen through the first nine weeks. But of course, the Buccaneers have this knowledge. They know what they want to do. But yes, to my previous point, I'm going to go back and watch the film and see how they attacked Nuosu. Did they double him? Which means, okay, who else in the D-line has to step up? Quentin Jefferson. Okay, you have to make a play. Puna Ford, you have to make a play. Daryl Taylor, he's had a up-and-down season. He hasn't really found his, his mark where he's consistent. But that's another guy that needed to step up. So my guess is... Just watching, remembering what I saw from the game, haven't watched the condensed, haven't watched any film on it. My thing is, they just doubled Nwosu, and they said, we're not going to get beat one-on-one. And you know what that consisted of? Brady doing whatever he needed, whatever he wanted, running, play action, and that resulted in that lead that they got, 14-0 in the first half. And then from that point on, the Seahawks just really couldn't keep up. And you look at that last drive, that was the summary of the game can't get off the field when they need to. But I think they can respond, and I think having a bye week, they can recover, go back to it, and this team can definitely get back to a problem in the NFC. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So I think that the one before we get to the questions that I know people had, uh, I, I do think that my theory, this is without watching the film on, on some of the run stuff today, um, particularly on the edge, because uh, it didn't look like Boye had a lot of uh, impact either, or even DT or even Bruce uh, for that for that matter. I'm not even sure if Bruce did Bruce have a tackle. Oh no, Bruce had a bunch. Bruce had four. Um, I think that one thing that may have been happening was you know how. Pete Carroll has talked about, and I've written about it a little bit on these guys have the, on the edge have the freedom to like kind of be aggressive and shoot stuff and, yeah. and, and things like that. I yep. think the the Bucks did a good job of knowing how to attack that, uh, knowing like when they would be aggressive maybe and when guys did jump into the wrong gap or maybe like t- take a shot that would usually be like a TFL, it was a seven-yard run or, you know, or an even bigger run. So I just think – that was my theory. I saw that happen at least once with Bruce. I'd have to go back and find it. But uh, I think it happened with Chenna at least uh, once as, as well. But it's just those moments. It only really happened once or twice before it can be impactful. For example, you know, let's say a, a play like where Bruce jumps in the backfield and knocks Daniel Jones into Saquon. Let's say that play goes the, the wrong way and it's a 12-yard run by Saquon. You know, then it's, it changes the entire perception of how, you know, you think Bruce played or how the run game worked or whatever you know like this is moments like that so i think that uh, that's one of my theories that i'm gonna go back uh, and, and look for 
Uh, but I think that would, in part, besides the Bucks having a good old line, explain why I think there was only one tackle for loss all night, mm. and it was by Jordan in like the on like the last drive. Yeah. I want to say maybe second to last drive. So I think that's my theory there that they they use their aggressiveness, um, kind of against them at the right times, kind of like how Seattle did against Detroit in Week Four. Again, that's a theory. I have to go back and know for sure, but um, that that's my thought. I'm with you though. Ultimately, bringing it back to my initial question to you. I'm I'm still not in like I'm not like panicky concerned, but there are certain things. Yeah. Big picture, you're six and four at the bye week, you know. Shoot, I had this team as a six win team, so they, <laughs> they, they hit that mark. Uh, still in first place, uh at the the do the Niners play later? We're recording this pretty early. Yeah, the Niners, uh, the play Niners Sunday night Sunday night game. Yep. Yeah. So the that game hasn't happened, no matter what happens in that game, um, the Seahawks will be in first place still. So you're in first place at the bye week. You know, the Raiders stink. You should be able to beat the Raiders coming out of that. Be 7-4 and four going into week 13. Uh, and you should be right and right where you want to be 7-4 and four after, you know, 11 games. So um, that's looking ahead a little bit, but just big picture. Not not too worried. Uh, I'm with you uh, uh, on that if you're ready to jump into what the people had to say. Absolutely. But I got to sing this one song. This is where I want to be. Hey, right <laughs> here with my loved ones, <laughs> smoking on some. Ah. All right, I'm just playing. But we do have quite a bit of Twitter questions. So shout out to everybody that listens, sends Twitter questions. We appreciate all the love and support. And don't forget, yes, for Film Session Friday, send us a clip that you want us to break down. I know Mike and I, we usually go through and pick our own, but shoot us DMs or add us on Twitter or Instagram, whatever the case may be. Let us know if you have a clip that you want us to break down. We definitely will take options from you guys in that regard as well. But to get to Twitter questions, we got quite a few. Let's start off with Young Slick X. This is for both of y'all. Reason behind offensive struggles the first three quarters. And also a lot of people talking about Kobe Bryant and his game. I thought he was good minus one blown coverage. Thoughts on him today? Um, I think that, uh, let's go with Kobe. I do think that... Um, the the nickel spot it just you're just in a lot of short yardage stuff um not short yardage short area um stuff and i do think that that is why guys his size usually aren't that they are guys who are built like ugo or even built like a cj reed or trey brown uh for that matter just just that short area quickness because you you don't have a lot of time to develop stuff you just need to be able to like all right this this little quick hitch is coming go 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 and, and kobe can do that he's got some great games um and he said he's made some great plays you know, but they got some stuff on him uh, today. And some of it was really close. You know, the one that he had gave up a Julio catch that was, like, real close. Uh, he gave up uh, a Mike Evans one that was that was real close. A Julio conversion that was that was uh, real close. And, like, a speed out or something, I think it was. Uh, something quick uh, on the on third down, third and short. Uh, I just think that for now, I mean, that's it. I'll put it this way. My thing on Kobe today. I gotta watch the, the the film. Here I am, sounding like a coach, but I do think this was like a if, the the one guy you probably don't want to play, where your job is to be like processing very quick in short spaces in the in the uh, middle of the field is Tom Brady. Yeah, because he just he's just so excellent at that. Like when you use the, we all use the phrase dinking and dunking. That's Brady, and he just does it at such a high level, and he does it by exploiting matchups. And it's not that he's just throwing a Cole Beasley all the time or something, you know, what's the other white guy they had? Scotty uh, Miller. Uh, Humphreys? Adam Humphreys? Scotty. Yeah, Scotty Miller, Adam yeah. Humphreys. He's not throwing them little dudes. Um, they've had Humphreys before. I know they don't have him now. But, oh, yeah, I got uh, you. 
they're not he's not throwing to little Danny Amendola, you know, over the middle. Chris Godwin was a big ass slot receiver, man. Like, <laughs> like that that's tough. Then one of them one of them plays Kobe, uh, Kobe gave up. Man, he was guarding like Mike Williams in the slot. You know, that's that's tough. You know, not to say that you shouldn't, you know, go out there and handle business, but I just, I don't think it was just like, uh, oh, yeah, man, Kobe sucks today. I think he was fine. And I also don't think that the, the, the touchdown was his fault. I actually don't know what coverage <laughs> they were in uh, on that particular play. And I probably won't even find out, but I have to ask Pete Carroll uh, when he has his availability. Uh, yeah, but it was, it, it, Kobe, I thought, um, was fine. As for the, well, he was, I, was, I say fine. I think he was no worse than anybody else. Yeah, you know, okay, let's, I feel let's, it. let's put it let's put it that way. You know, I think Mike Jackson was, was solid today, actually, in terms of the play, DB play. Uh, Ryan Neal too, uh, actually, in a little limited stuff that I watched with him. As far as the offense, though, I, I really think they got whipped uh, up front, man. And uh, I think people have asked me. I mentioned this on the radio show that you produced. I've, uh, I think I've answered this on the podcast before. People ask like, "I never riding high." Is there anything we're like not good at? And I always say like. Interior O line gives me some issues. The interior O line kind of worries me a little bit. Um, and you saw something that today, you know, you saw Hicks and you saw Vita Vea and you saw uh, Devin White uh, come up the gut. The interior is the is the vulnerable spot. You know, we even saw that with the Giants and with the Cardinals. Like teams that can that got the boys up front will give the Seahawks problems. Now sometimes they'll overcome those problems, but today they had no answers uh, and, and just got smoked. Uh, trying to uh, go at those guys, so I think that that was that was one, one of the issues, you know, in the earlier in the game uh, because yeah, with the offense at least those big Vita Vea is no joke, man. He has no, you see that dude, Chris? He don't wear no gloves, no wristbands, <laughs> no tape, no sleeves, no tattoos. He's just pads, helmet, violent. You know, like that's that that's that's a, that's a tough tough dude to go against. And I think he was. The issue as much as he and Devin White uh, as much as anything in the third quarter. The first three quarters. To answer the question about the to you answered everything on the offense, so I'm good with that. But defensively, I would put it in terms of the prog- progression of Kobe of Kobe of Cody Barton. Wow, I'm just drawing a blank. All these Kobe's and Cody's. So we saw how Cody progressed. Right, he got an interception today. You talked about how Kobe he was there. Okay, cool. In about three or four weeks, as he gets better, he will be there to make a play, make an interception because he's seen it. He knows where he needs to be. The route he got beat on today by Scotty Miller, it was a great route. Ball was a little late, and he wasn't able to recover. It was a whip route, great route, tough to cover, but he was there. Two, three weeks, he's going to have an interception. Kind of the same formula I gave with Cody Barton. He's making plays he's gonna get an opportunity and he made it on sunday so i'm not i thought his i thought he played okay he just got targeted they wanted to attack him and they were able to they sent mike evans on a deep crossing pattern that's or a deep in route 13 i think it was 14 yards or so that's tough to cover and not to mention mike evans is 6-3 as you mentioned Mike. he's a tall dude it's not like he he's going up against scotty miller every play he's getting some of the best receivers and he has to step up to the challenge he was there he just couldn't make the play and I think as the season progresses, he will be able to make the play. He'll be able to jump it because he's seen it so many times. He's gone up against Mike Evans. He's gone up against Mike Williams. He's played against elite receivers. He's not going to see an elite receiver every single time. And the one time he gets tested, that might be the time he makes that big play. So while he was getting some run today, 
he'll definitely get better from it, I think. And then also look at Tariq. He got a pass caught on him today. No, <laughs> it happens. You just got to respond. So to answer that question, I thought Kobe was good in coverage, except for that one. And we both don't know what coverage they was in. I, I, I don't even know. It was really weird, but he'll be better. He'll get better and he'll make the plays necessary. Next question we got. Mm, let's see. Any idea on why Brian Monet was a healthy scratch considering how badly they struggled with stopping the run? This is from Jimmy at Jimmy underscore Lee one. Yeah, I'm sorry. I don't have a better answer for this. I still wanted just to read it just because I think I have a theory on it and I didn't get to ask Pete Carroll about it in, uh, in the post game because I missed it because of how the setup was uh, in Germany. It was a tough. I, I miss Pete Carroll's press conferences quite often because I'm in the locker room kind of getting exclusive stuff. Um, kind of feeling the vibe um, and I just go usually listen to Pete Carroll's pressers later because I can usually trust the other people there to ask the most relevant questions um, the Brian Monet thing uh, it looks like it skipped everybody's mind I don't know I wasn't there um, but my theory is that they just didn't anticipate um, the, the, the Bucks running as often as they did they went with the lighter more like kind of athletic-y bodies because they were going to do some more dropping uh, with their linemen um, and kind of trying to have more of a plan to kind of neutralize that quick passing game uh, and try to get guys who can get interior pass rush on Brady because that's where the Bucks O-line was most vulnerable if there is a vulnerability on their O-line very similar to uh, where the Seahawks are vulnerable in that room and that that led to a decision to have Monet down and then thinking that Al, uh, Al Wood, Puna and then he's maybe even Miles and Shelby would be enough uh, to get it done from the interior it was not uh, <laughs> You know, so I, and I do think Brian Monet would have made a difference. That's something we'll try to get clarified with with Pete. But that's my theory, and I actually I feel pretty good about that. Assuming that Brian didn't just have something pop up with him at uh, pregame, which sometimes that happens with guys, hamstrings, whatever, roll ankle, I don't know. But um, assuming it wasn't that, but well then yeah, that's my theory. And they 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 made calculated uh, assessment based on their opponent's tendencies, and the, the Bucks broke tendency, and yeah. it, it hurt the field. Speaking of breaking tendency, this one is from Nate Ramirez. How the f did that team run the ball all over the Seahawks? Yeah, I, I think it goes back to what I mentioned before about taking shots and not even necessarily taking shots all the time for the front line. But I do think that uh, they didn't have a ton of missed tackles in the open space uh, like like we've seen in some previous games. I think that uh, um, part of the scheme change or the kind of the, what they were doing earlier in the or during the four game win streak was letting the D-line like set the set the line of scrimmage and kind of reach reestablish it so to speak like knock, knock guys backwards and then letting the linebackers kind of trust them like hey alright if you go you better you know do, do your thing you know it's almost like sending a blitz you know when you blitz you're basically saying hey go go because we're going to be short handed back here but you know I'm trusting you to get there now it's not they weren't blitzing in the run game so to speak but when those guys don't make those plays, when you when you don't win as a one-on-one -on -one guy, when you try to shoot your gap and you don't get penetration or, you you know, they bounce the run the other way or whatever, then you're susceptible and then your linebackers are not hang out to drive, but their jobs are a little bit harder. Uh, Jordan Brooks talked about that a few weeks ago at the podium. He was like, you know, my job is actually harder when you play like we're playing now. Um, but, you know, we got the guys up front to get it done. Uh, and usually they do. Against the Bucks, they did not. Uh, I don't again I don't think that it's a it's an alarming thing that it got to the extreme but I do not think that it will be a continuous thing however it is very disappointing you know from from this team's perspective that 
a guy who I'm pretty sure he yeah, didn't crack 30 yards all year would hit you for 100. Like that, I don't really care who's on the field or what the team is. That's that. That's not embarrassing because everybody's an NFL player. Um, but that is, you just you you shouldn't let that happen if you want people to consider you for real, for real. This one is from Paul Martin at P Martin, K to Texas. What up with Diggs? Zero impact on the field. Is he still recovering from his injury? What would the cap hit be if the Seahawks cut him in the offseason? <laughs> Paul, Paul, man. Paul's a long, long time listener, too. I recognize that, uh, that, that ad name. Uh, you tripping. You tripping on the. You, you can't just cut Quandre Diggs. Come on, man. Like, Quandre is erasing a lot of plays, just like he's always been. Just stuff you don't see. Like, even in 2019, now he got his hands on a lot of passes in 2019. But, like, literally, he's got his hands on the same number of passes in 2022. He's just not catching. Like, he has, like, four dropped interceptions or something like that are, like, three. He makes those same exact plays and nothing else changes. You, you guys would think he was, like, a pro bowler this year because he would have, like, three picks, you know? Uh, two of them on, like, fourth down that didn't – that actually lost Seattle field position. Mm. Uh, so, I think that's just one of those things that, like, when the ball bounces your way or when it doesn't as a safety. Um, and, like, even, even he had a bad missed tackle on Taysom in week five. That was probably the worst – play I, I've seen him make or not make I guess so to speak uh, but even then like on the Rondell Moore play that he misses in like week 6 his cleat is stuck in the ground you know like he's, he's been fine he was fine against the Giants I thought he saved a touchdown twice on some Saquon Barkley runs in space so I feel like we're just only looking at not we, it's, it's Paul's question um, but Paul <laughs> I think it's kind of one of those in the moment things you see See Quandre not make that play on Kate Otten. Uh, you see him get stiff armed by Rashad White. Two plays he should have made. Like, I'm not accusing those. I mean, I'm pointing out he's had that. Uh, the Kate Otten play, he should have just went up went up with Kate. Instead, he tried to like line up a kill shot, and Kate did a good job protecting himself. Uh, and on the Rashad White thing, he just can't let nobody do that to you. That's just, yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty bad. Um, but I, I think that in general, his impact is still there um, because they're not doing like cover three as much or cover you know, single high stuff he's in a little bit different role but I think if you look at the all 20 maybe I, maybe that's on me and Chris for not doing enough all 22 breakdowns that includes some stuff that Quadre has taken away because even today there were some times Brady had to get to his next read because of some stuff that they took away on the back end the problem was Brady just got to his next read you know instead of it being a sack or something like it had been you know in, in, in previous games you know, even last week I thought Quadre played well so uh, you know, with some good run fits and a few other things. So I think that, yeah, he's, he's playing fine. Uh, it's just when you're a safety and you're not getting the ball, it can look like you're not doing um, a ton. Uh, but he, he, he's playing fine. And he has been playing fine during the win streak. He just did not have a great a great game or anything. He was just like everyone else in the back end, um, just like okay in spurts, some bad mistakes in some other situations. You know, but it's, come on, ball. We ain't cutting quite that strong. <laughs> this next one is from Holly at Hallberry03. Gino made some indecisive decisions. What do you think contributed to those? Uh, no, I, I think um, I think I think Gino was fine. I don't think he had a lot of bad decisions. Honestly, if you look at the throws that he made, uh, he he threw way fewer interceptable passes than he has the last few weeks. He, he's thrown some ones that have hit some guys in the hands the past few weeks. Chargers, um, Cardinals, uh, Cardinals. He had a few hit guys in the hands in the red zone. Um, so I think that 
uh, from that perspective, Gino was fine. The only decision I didn't like today, um, I don't think the fumble was a decision, so to speak. Um, but I think the, the scramble uh, where he, you remember that one, Chris? I think number nine, the kid from uh, UW, Joe uh, Tyron, um, something hyphenated. Uh, he he has, Gino has the angle on him, and it's starting short. Gino can just, Gino got to remember he's black. He can run. Um, so uh, he forgot for a second there. Uh, and then threw in complete to Tyler, and they had to punt. So I think other, that was really the only decision. I was like, ah, you know, you tripping. Um, yeah. Otherwise, man, I thought he, he made some big-time throws today. The numbers looked fine. Um, they evened out, uh, which numbers can tend to do even if you don't start hot with a, you know, 23 or 33 yeah. or something like that for 275, you know, a couple touches, no interceptions, no really, like, interceptable passes. You know, I thought Gino just from a execution standpoint was his normal, like, efficient uh, self. The big plays weren't as there, but even then, he come on, man. That, that, that fourth down throw to Marquise. That is, that is, that is, it, it doesn't really get much better than that in terms of getting into your next read uh, and throwing that ball on the money where only your guy is really going to go make a play on that. Even the back, the the, the, the wheel route he threw to Noah Fant that Noah didn't get his uh, toes in. Like, I thought Gino's throwing of the ball today uh, uh, was was just fine as, as far as I can tell. Like, he didn't force anything that I thought he should um, and he didn't like have any egregious misses, you know. I say without watching all twenty-two. So yeah, no, I thought I thought Gino was fine. This one is from Thorsten. Was this the game that showed the Seahawks' limitations on offense versus a good defense? Also, what was that atmosphere like for you in the stadium compared to the games in the U.S.? Uh, so to answer the first part with the the offense, I do think that limitations is probably not the word I want to use. But this goes back to what I was saying about the run numbers. I just think that when you, when if a team can make you, you know, left-handed or one-handed or one-dimensional or however you want to, hey, you you you're a prone to have some issues. Like even in the times where Gino has had drives where he just, you know, just cooks. Like today, I think he had one where he had eight dropbacks in a row on their first like field goal drive uh, in the in the second half. He Gino doesn't like have to have like the run game for him to function. He can function at a high level, but when there just is not even the threat of running the ball. I mean, you're just not being good at it. Uh, that that's an issue. That, I wouldn't even say the threat. When you're just not being good at it, because think about it this way: like when you're just running for nothing, it's like all right, you're just burning it down. You know, Ken runs for nothing. All right, now it's second and ten, or now it's third and ten, or whatever. Uh, now it's third and eleven, or second and eleven, whatever the hell. So I, I think that uh, that it, it's not that it's a limitation thing, but it is a, something again. Like put it in the concern box, like. The, I don't think any team, this includes a team like the Chiefs, you know, or the Bills, is not really equipped to just throw it all the time and stink at running the ball. No one can stink at running it. Uh, but also, I think this wasn't a sign of maybe a limitation as much as it's just like, you know what, if the other team has a Vita Vea or a Devin White or both, you're kind of, you, you can be screwed. And again, it doesn't have to be those guys, but we've seen this before. You know, I, I told one of my colleagues before the game, I was like, Man, this could be like a Fletcher Cox versus Joey Hunt 2019 Eagles situation um, with Vita because Vita is just that dude like that. And then what do you know? They can't play the ball. So uh, not a limitation thing uh, as much as it's, it's just this is they they can be beaten up, you know, up, up front um, by the right front. And they, it happened against the Giants for a little bit, happened against the Cardinals in that first game, you know, for, for a little bit, second game too against the Cardinals. Uh, yeah, it just this time they didn't have the opportunity to run it and kind of 
get the numbers looking back right. Because you look at it, the no- wait, what did Ken run for in the fourth quarter last week? Like 78 of his 109 yards or whatever? Like he's doing, he, I mean, he was shut down most of the game. So. Um, that, that's why that the run thing was so concerning to, to me. Uh, thankfully, they play in the Raiders next next time. Because you see the Raiders lost. They ass, man. I feel so bad for Deshaun. <laughs> yeah, the Raiders, the, Ra- the Raiders, the Raiders stink. Uh, as far as the atmosphere, though, I will say this, man. Shout out to all the German Seahawkers that I that, that I met while I was out here. People, even if you are from Germany, I met people from Scotland. Um, you think even Italy? Uh, yeah, just all all over Germany. Uh, even ran into some Seahawks fans just from Seattle. Uh, out here while I was in here, love was incredible. Shout out to um, to Max. Uh, he's he's uh, of the German Seahawks. Max has just been he was, was such a great host and he was just a great help. Shout out to Lucas. Uh, the president of the German Seahawkers also a big help. Shout out to those guys. Uh, it was they made the week leading up, the days leading up to the game just 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 magical um, and, and very cool. It made it feel like a home away from home uh, type of thing. Not just from even for all the, the homies who traveled. It just felt just felt great. You know, uh, just all the love and people sharing their stories about how they love the Seahawks, um, how they stay up late at night, you know, to watch the games, you know, on their laptop or you know, on their on their couch, you know, three in the morning or whatever. I enjoyed hearing all those stories. I appreciated all the love uh, that I got uh, from you guys. Uh, that it, it did not go unnoticed. I'm gonna go home uh, to the states and tell people all about you guys. I promise. Show them all the pictures we all took at the party and and everything. That's dope. As far as the environment at the game, I thought it would be a Seahawks home game, kind of like London, uh, the London trip of 2018. That was just that was just Lumen Field transported to Wembley Stadium, you know, in London. This was not that, and perhaps speaks to the popularity of Tom Brady, uh, because he like they, they he he is the most popular player and NFL player in the world, and you could feel that. And the Seahawks are the most popular team in Germany, but Brady as an individual is the most popular player, uh, and I don't even really think it's particularly close, um, just because of how long Brady's been just excellent uh, at what he does. So, I, but the the a cool thing about covering this game today was that. So usually in the press box, we're like up, you know, fourth floor, fifth, whatever. You know, I think of the Saints, it was like the seventh floor or something like that. Um, and we're like behind glass. We're kind of out of the way. Here, Chris, we were 22 rows up. I saw that. From, you know, yeah, it, it, you can kind of tell from the pictures that we were all posting. So we're, we're right there. I'm talking fans in row 21 are right there. With the, their back of their heads hmm. are like damn near touching the back of my laptop. You know, like we're just right in the thick of things. It felt like just being in a crowd, damn near. And that that was pretty cool. It was the most electric atmosphere that I've been a part of. London setup was also like that as well. We were in the crowd, um, so I just thought that was just cool, man. And the fans. The good thing about having fans rooting so hard for both teams, I think it was never like any dull part. Like when the Bucks did something good, they went crazy. She also did something good, they went crazy. Uh, and it was like a, almost an equal uh, crazy. Though I, I do think the Seahawks fans just drastically outnumbered uh, Bucks fans. So, um, but yeah, the, the environment was crazy. The field was trash. I'm glad nobody got hurt playing on that crappy field. But the environment, the fans, that was that was really cool. I don't want these guys to play any more Germany games and say that the field's going to be that terrible. Um, as much as I liked it out here, because I, again, I don't want to see nobody get hurt. Uh, which will happen uh, if they don't fix the field. But just as an environment, from my view, oh yeah, that was that was excellent, man. Shout out to shout out to uh, Germany. This one's from Pete Air Monarchs. Why does it seem like Deke has been limited to short yardage routes, like hooks, shallow crossers? It seems like he's being used as more of a yards after catch guy instead of a deep threat. 
All right. First off, to answer this question, change your at name because that's terrible. Team Air Monarch, we're not. We no, 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 no. We not gonna do that. We not gonna do that. Um, but no, I, I think that's just a kind of a prisoner of the moment thing. Like I think D, DK is running a lot of the same routes that he did. The main thing that you're you're not seeing a lot of is um, he's not running as many go balls. I don't think. Um, I'm gonna be my own researcher here and see if I can uh, pull up uh, you know the type of routes he's been running. But I, I think that he's running a lot of the same stuff. Uh, you, what you see a lot less of just as a concept is a lot of those you know Russ would do those play action things when it'd be only two routes it'd be Tyler and DK one of them running like a post the other one running like an over or something like that they, they run some of that still but not as much because that's just not Gino Gino can just operate in just a normal you know uh, drop back situation uh, but uh, I think he's the thing is they're playing off him uh, a lot so you get a lot of off coverage that limits you right there. Um, and then they're running the ball really well so you don't got to force it. Um, they're doubling him quite a bit. Like, he's getting bracketed a lot. And it's not like a typical double sometimes where two guys are following him, which you'll get sometimes like a linebacker sitting underneath him, safety over the top, and he's outside. They can cloud his side. Cloud meaning that, like, the corner sits underneath him and he's got safety help over the top. In the event he runs a deep route, you know, I, I, did a, I, I showed you what that can kind of look like. Um, in my breakdown of my week nine standout plays, you know, one of those third down plays from Noah. Um, so it's it's not that he's got a more limited route here that he's a yards after catch guy. I don't even think his yards after catch numbers are that great. I think they're pretty pedestrian, um, actually. Um, the thing is, teams are just playing him in a way. Uh, a lot of times I say, hey, we're only going to give you but so many one-on-one opportunities. Now, if you hit those, that's cool. But if you do, um, and if you don't, you're going to look like a pedestrian receiver. And I, you can, I can respect that. And they just got to be more efficient with the one-on-one opportunities they do get, and they got some today. They didn't capitalize. Jamel Dean won some of his. DK won some of his, uh, but they weren't the, the explosive plays that you would like to see. One thing on DK though, I do want to see him do a little bit more. Maybe this happens as he gets some veteran savvy. Is draw guys into some some DPIs. Mm-hmm. I feel like he doesn't draw as many as he nearly should on some of these deep balls. Maybe he needs to like start flopping or whatever because he he gets those one on one matchups and guys get so physical with him because he's so big and damn strong. He's he, like Tyler's good at drawing DPIs. Tyler flops his ass off sometimes uh, and he'll get a he'll get a defensive holding call in a heartbeat. <laughs> Tyler will. So uh, it's that the route tree is not the issue. I think it's just how guys are playing him and D, Gino's not just going to force it to him. He's going to try to get the ball to him within the rhythm and time of the offense, which is what he should do. Uh, they just got to maximize those one-on-ones uh, that they get. This next one is from Mar at MarMD underscore. Is Geno's success a product of the running game? It feels like when we can't run the ball, he struggles. Um. Oh, wow. DK's most popular route. Um, it's still a go. Um, yeah, he runs a lot of crossers. Um, and, and, and posts and stuff. So yeah, not, uh, not, not, not too bad. Um, anyway, uh, no, Gino's not a product uh, of the of the run game. I wouldn't say that. I mean, look at the drives he's had. Look at the ones he had today. Shane Waldron has had a ton of drives this year where it's just like Gino throw, Gino throw, Gino throw, Gino throw, Gino throw, Gino throw, Gino throw. Like Gino can cook, for lack of a better verb, um, without the run game. The problem is you just can't be bad at running the ball. That's the really big thing. Um, 
A, because it just makes you too one-dimensional and you don't want to be on one side of the spectrum on that. B, again, it's what I was saying earlier. You, you can't just run the ball for zero yards or one yard. That's just hard for – you're burning downs. Then you're asking Zeno to basically average five yards of play on the other two downs, and then one of them being third down, where there, again, is no threat of running the ball. So I think that that's the issue. Gino actually, again, his numbers, he came out of this fine and even had a decent, and in the second half, he was fine. Uh, I, I thought all three drives in terms of Gino was actually dropped back and passed the ball uh, in the in the, in the the second half. Gino was, was money, uh, I thought. I thought they did it. The fumble was bad. You can't do that. That's a, that's a ball security thing more than it just like can't operate you know, in the pocket. But yeah, 275 yards, two touchdowns. You know, decent EPA numbers, 23 of 33. Again, no, like, super terrible passes. Yeah, Gino was fine. The thing is just you can't be bad at the run game because it just – you want to get three downs to get the first. If you burn one of them, you know, because you get a run for zero, like that, it's, it's just hard to overcome that. Uh, and that's just not a Gino thing. That's a Josh Allen thing. That's a Patrick Mahomes thing. That's a Tua Tungvaluwa thing. That's a Jalen Hurts thing. They all overcome those in different ways. But it's hard to consistently do that. So I think that that's what it is more than anything. But we've seen enough drives to know that Gino can just operate a straight drop back offense, play action, shotgun, pistol, whatever, under center. He can do it all, even if the run game isn't uh, without like leaning on the run game as a crutch. You know, he can, he, he can do that. And that's basically what Pete Carroll figured out after week two. And that's why they took the reins off the offense and just let Gino start, uh, start eating. This next one is from Dallas Dickinson at DJ Dalla D. Second half seemed much more like what we've seen the last month and a half on both sides of the ball. You see anything in particular adjustment-wise on either side that made the second half much better? Uh, I think uh, on the on defense, I don't know if they were a ton better. I just think they got some they got they took advantage of some turnover situations. Um, which you have to do. I'm not even going to call him fluky or anything. Although Leonard Fournette just had no business knowing the, the the one to to break. That was just absurd. Uh, uh, there was no no way that that is a little fluky. Bay. you can take advantage of it, you know. Um, which which they did. Shout out to these league and interceptions uh, with, with, with five. Um, him and Ch- uh, Chauncey Gardner uh, Johnson or whatever from the Eagles. So yeah, I think the, the defense they took advantage of the turnovers, but I don't know if they like really like turned it up a notch in the way that they think maybe because they still got gas on the ground particularly when they needed to get off the field and third down they weren't really in any better in the second half I don't think than they were in the first uh, at least by like my raw looking at it so on offense though I just thought they got into a rhythm they avoided some third down situations by just converting on first and second uh, and they, they went tempo uh, and their tempo really was effective and it got the bucks on their heels, got guys tired. Um, they were able to, to find some beaters for the coverage that the bucks were in. So I think on offense, the change was, was pretty clear. It's like get into a rhythm and start hitting some stuff with your tempo, uh, which I thought was really helpful. Um, on defense, though, I just think they, they got some turnovers. I thought that was really the main thing. Because like, like you said, three gave them a ball. I think the interception was like the very next play. They had no reason to run that trick play. They could have easily just kept doing on their offense, and they'd have been fine. So, yeah, I think the defense didn't turn around the way they think. I got to check the numbers, uh, but or check the check the tape on it. But I do think the offense made a big change, and one of them was just like getting into their tempo 
uh, and you know wearing the bucks down a little bit with the throwing game. This next one comes from Hawks fan two oh six. Does Walker Kim Walker that is need to be coached out of the Le'Veon Bell like pause he does behind the line of scrimmage? Feels like defenses are expecting it and getting to him, or is it more of a blocking thing? Yeah, I think it's a blocking thing. Again, I'm not really uh, I'm beating a dead horse here a little bit, but. I do think if there's one weak spot, it is like uh, interior O line. Maybe it's because they're rotating guys so much and stuff like that. I'm not, I'm not really sure. I have to consult more of an O line expert on it. But I, that's my, I've, I've thought that even when the runs were working. It's not to say the interior O line track. I think the whole O line is good. But again, it's just we're just nitpicking here. I think that's the, the spot, and you're seeing it. Honestly, you're you're seeing it in the numbers and the in the you know the times that Ken just running into a wall it seems like i don't blame him for trying to bounce some of these because he's getting them sometimes with nowhere to go um so i think that on the, at the time ken needs to find the hole and just hit it he can hit it like we even saw that today he had like a five-yard run on like 32 or something where he just ain't no dancing he just went and got it yeah. um and some yeah he got to be coached up on that a little bit um but for the for the most part i think he's 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 doing what is expected of him but you, you can only do so much uh, when you're getting the ball and you immediately got to, you know, dance a little bit. And I do think, as I talked about, I think last week, it's, it's that give and take, man. It's the same thing how rough used to be, like, if Russ extending plays, that ends up in a touchdown, or extending plays, that end up in a 17-yard sack. You've got to take the good with the bad when the good is that good. You know, like, at worst, Ken might lose three yards. So it's actually not even that crazy. But at best, he pops a 70-yarder. You know, so, like, you you have to take that good with that bad. And I, I think Chad Morton, the running backs coach, will want more good than bad, obviously. But he's going to have – they'll live with it a little bit because he, he can – I mean, look at his touchdown against the Cardinals. He completely reversed field, you know, just because he could and then ended up scoring, you know. Or maybe that was against the Giants. I can't remember now. But uh, that, that type of stuff – you got to you you only get those plays if you allow Ken a little wiggle on him, you know, no pun intended. This one's from Colin Kogan. Why do we the Seahawks have such trouble stopping the shallow crossing route? And if the Seahawks can't defend it, why haven't they put it in their offensive playbook? Seems like the perfect way to get de-escorage the ball in space. I mean, they run crossers. Uh, to, uh, to, to be very clear, BK uh, runs crossers. You know, BK's second most popular route is a cross. Uh, let me see what Tyler's most uh, popular route is. Post. Uh, so I don't think that's. Oh yeah, it's probably a Tyler run. Well, that was it when he was with Russ. It may not be. Um, you know, right now they okay. So I'll focus more on why it, the re, they run crossers in Seattle. Like that's not the issue. Um, the the defensive part of it though I do think it's been something different each time today again I don't really know what coverage they were running that looked like a bust of some sort I don't know if Tariq I, my guess would be Tariq was supposed to follow Julio on that if not uh, then I would guess that it would be Jordan Brooks' responsibility to run with that crosser they have it's more about communicating the crosser more than the fact they can't stop it because they have stopped it before but you just have to communicate it. And I do know that the Seahawks have a call, pre-snap, that they use to uh, let everyone else know, hey, if this crosser comes, I'm going to follow it or I'm not. I don't want everyone to say what the call is, but I, I know it when I see it um, because I've just been told it. So they, they know how to stop and they have before. It's just a matter of communicating. And they do get lost in the communication on it sometimes, which they you just can't have that. Um, 
one. But I really think if you guys really look at it, it's only happened twice. It just happens to be a touchdown both times. <laughs> so it looked really bad. The D-hop one, uh, I think that was, I think Jordan Brooks is supposed to follow that. And then today, I don't know who that was Who that was on. The Mike Williams one uh, that uh, he got to re on, that's not a scheme issue. That's just, that's just man-to-man. Uh, Tariq got rubbed. That's not just like, oh, we can't stop crossers. Like, when you get rubbed, it's hard to stop anything. Shoot, I think Chris Godwin's rub or touchdown today was a rub. So, the other two, you have to communicate those better, and they did not. I don't, they've, they have stopped more crossers than they've given up. The problem is, they've only given up so many touchdowns to the air this year uh, since they turned things around, and the crossers are the ones that we remember. So, it, it realistically... They have a plan for it, and they've done it, and they've executed it fine. It's a couple communication errors that have happened like twice. That makes it look a lot worse than it is. This next one comes from Sam at Huo N. Lee. It felt like the Seahawks were starting to make a comeback, and the defense needed to get the ball back, or the offense needed to get the ball back one more time for that last drive. Was the fourth quarter enough to show you that Geno can come back from under, even though they didn't get the win? Uh, no, it, it, it didn't show me one way or the other because he didn't really get a chance to. I do think that it was encouraging that he, you know, turned up in the fourth quarter when they needed it. You know, I thought that was, yeah, that was that was good. But it, I don't think I needed to be convinced of that. I didn't see you go win it, you know, more more than anything. I thought it was good though. I thought what they did was very good. Um, it was a little little bit too late, uh, obviously, but I thought that was good that they were able to execute. In those situations, honestly, man, we talked about it in the last few pods. I think like Gino was able to do in Detroit. He was able to do in that Giants drive, five plays, five passes, seventy-five yards touchdown on the go-ahead to Tyler. What he was able to do in those two thirteen-play drives against Arizona in Week Nine, like that. Those are. It's not like oh, ball. You know, we're down. Go make it happen necessarily. All you know, type of thing. But it was definitely a. We need a big boy drive. Can you give us a big boy drive? And he was like, I'm a big boy. Watch this. I've seen that enough to feel pretty confident in King Gene. Um, the main thing that's just missing from his resume is what he missed out on getting the opportunity to do today. Is like, hey, we're down six or five or whatever with a minute and some change. No timeouts. Can you go get us in the end zone? I, I, I feel confident in his ability to do that just because of how, how well he's been able to function. Um, the fourth quarter, though, today... That was just nice to see, but in that particular regard, I don't think it needed. I didn't need convincing um, for that. I already believe in Dino's ability to just operate the offense when, even when the, the defense knows he's going to throw. This next one is from Christina Leon Guerrero at Madascari. Were there any changes to equipment or cleat that seemed to help them get back in the game and play more like they have lately during the second half? So I asked a bunch of guys about the field after the game. Uh, everyone said it sucked. Um, no one said they had to change cleats. Guys that seemed to get like special ones um, already. They were kind of prepared. I think they were like like studs that were like seven, I don't know, seven inches or whatever. I don't really wear cleats. I don't know cleat tops. Um, but they were pretty deep into the ground uh, to you know to prevent from some of the slipping. But I don't think that like everyone like changed cleats at halftime and the guys were still slipping in the second half. Because uh, it just got worse and worse and worse. That was terrible. Again, they should not play on that. They should not come to Germany again with, with the field is going to be like that. As much as I love this trip, um, so 
I don't think I don't think it was like oh we changed our cleats and now we got better, especially on defense uh, or offense. Really, I think everyone just kind of dealt with it, and I'm glad that no only one player to me uh, said to me that he made not the excuse but he rationalized the poor performance on one side of the ball because of the field conditions every other player i talked to was just like hey man we had to play in the same conditions the bucks did they ran it they threw it they tackled you know we should have been able to as well so no one else really wanted to use it as an excuse or rationale other than like one guy um maybe i'll name that player at a future date but not right now uh so other than that i think it was i don't think the field like disproportionately uh put the seahawks at a disadvantage you know both teams had to deal with it. The Bucks were just better at it. And I think both teams had the cleats, you know, to handle it as best they could. But that field was just trash. This next one is from Orange Monkeys 3. Any idea on why the officials picked up the key offensive pass interference flag that resulted in the deciding touchdown? Also, fun fact, the last time Seattle won a game with John Hussey and his crew was November 3rd, 2019 at home against Jameis Winston and the Bucks. Just saying. <laughs> I remember that game. They compiled their game. Uh, so, oh, I think my exp- the explanation that I got um, is that they just didn't throw the OPI because if he doesn't throw it over there, it's not OPI. You know, like I think OPI has to be actually on, you know, that that play or that side of not that side of the field necessarily, but like has to be in that direction. So I guess that is that side of the field. It'd be the same thing, I think. At least is how it was explained to me. That let's say you had two go balls, one from Tyler and one from DK, or like they both ran go routes. Tyler just shoves his guy in the helmet, but the ball ends up going to DK, and he catches it. I don't think it would be an OPI on Tyler. You know what I mean? Uh, even or even if Tyler just starts blocking his guy, you know, and DK runs a go route and the ball goes to DK, I don't think that would be OPI on Tyler either, um, because the ball just doesn't go to that direction. That's my understanding of it. I believe Pete Carroll said the same thing. Uh, and, and his post game as well, so that's my understanding of why they did not throw. That's it, why they picked up the flag. The next question comes from Edmilson Vaz. If the year is to end right now and we jump up to the draft, which position would you focus on? Uh, trenches. I don't really care where, other than don't take any tackles. But uh, trenches, you know. Uh, I don't know how many years I would got left. Um, I think you gotta you you gotta address you know a potential uh, successor there. You know behind Brian Monet, you need two guys at least. Uh, you can go interior O line like I've been talking about. Austin Black not under contract. I don't think uh, you gotta decide whether you want to pay D Lou because he'll be coming into a contract year by next draft. Uh, who will edge rusher? You can do that too. Uh, trenches for sure. I think it has to be trenches. I think everywhere else. They can afford to uh, either free agency or just later in the draft once they go to the draft in that particular position. Uh, I think yeah, you got to go. You got to go trenches. Uh, in it with that first pick from the Broncos, which the Broncos lost today, so that pick looks great. That pick should probably be a like a. I'm thinking somebody who can get to the quarterback, like get somebody who the first line on their draft thing is pass rush <laughs> like that if it ain't if it ain't that then uh I think you trade back or, or whatever so that's where i was with the two first round picks i'm thinking trenches with both this next one comes from justin dunnicliffe 
How much impact did the time difference have on the performance of the Seahawks? How far off were they from their average playtime? I think by the time the game rolled around, they were their bodies were fine. Shoot, I was here just as long as them. My body was fine. I was in front of football. But like body clocks are body clocks in terms of like adjusting. Um, so, you know, I, I, I don't think that was an issue. The Bucks had to deal with that too, man. Um, yeah, the Bucks had to deal with it too. I don't think that was it. They just got whipped up front. The, the, they, deal, they dealt with the conditions a little better, although the Bucks fell and flipped around too. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think that the time difference really, really mattered at that point. They just, they just weren't better than the other team today, which can happen. You don't want to see it happen, but I don't think it was a time difference. This last one comes from Dom at Pyro Foxable. Your life is on the line. It's third and one. Would you rather hand the ball to Kenneth Walker or Rashad Penny? Or are you giving it to me, man? <laughs> I am definitely giving that thing to Ken. Um, uh, I'm, Chris, I'm not giving you the ball. I could probably, not, I could probably squeeze through. They can't even see me. <laughs> I would throw you the ball. I would, I would definitely, I would throw you the ball. I would, I would, I would trust you to get open in an NFL game, sit in the zone, and catch it if an NFL quarterback threw it to you. You, I would pray to whoever it is that our listeners pray to that you get down before someone hits you. Uh, but I, I would trust you uh, to 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 get to catch the ball. I trust your hands. Just make sure you're wearing gloves. I know you don't like to wear gloves, uh, but I want you to wear gloves. And I trust you to catch it. So hand you the ball. I'm gonna go ahead and die. Uh, for you know, my life's on the line. I'm gonna go ahead and yeah, that's it. I'm gonna kick the bucket before I before I hand you the ball, sir. I I am sorry. That was just a really funny question for us to end on, but yeah. Oh, thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Well, listen, it's one o'clock there, one fifty-one going on two. Let's get Mike out of here so we can get some sleep. We want to thank you guys for listening to the audio version of Seahawks Man to Man. And for those that have been rocking with audio for so long, we appreciate you tuning in. We will come back in, what, two weeks? next. So two weeks because we got a bye week this week. We are off. Mike is in Germany. I'm going to be in Portland. We are enjoying our time off, so you guys do it as well. We'll catch you guys in a few weeks as we'll catch up with Tashawn, who covers the Raiders, and that'll be our preview. Our next part will be a preview of the Raiders and the Seahawks. What, what do you think the line's going to be, Mike? Minus six for the Seahawks? <laughs> Maybe more, man. The Raiders just lost to a team that hired a high school coach just like <laughs> this week. <laughs> to put things in perspective, well said. Well, look, yeah, man, it's been, another, it's been another episode of Seahawks, man. man. Anything you want to add before we shake, Mike? I just want to show some more appreciation, man. And thank you to all the people that I met. Um, you know, while he was out here in Germany, who was like, hey, man, I've been listening to the pod for years. Or I just start listening to it or whatever. We, I've met a lot of podcast fans out here. I, I sent some pictures to, to Chris while I was out here. Two of the people I took uh, flicks with out here who were podcast fans. So we that love did not go unnoticed or underappreciated. Uh, we, we love it. Um, like Chris said, we'll catch you guys after we take a little break um, and recharge. And we'll be back uh, with a preview in a couple weeks. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? 
Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.